Hello, friends. This morning, I'm going to be talking about John chapter 6, verses 41 to 71. And uh, this reading from John is really a continuation of what's come before in chapter 6, where it started with the feeding of the 5,000. We talked about this yesterday. And then Jesus started to talk a little bit about how he calls himself the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. And then this next part is Jesus goes even farther. Big surprise, right? John's gospel, Jesus is going even farther, deeper into his own identity, but also um, he's going to you know, double down or triple down on this metaphor of uh, him being the bread of life that's available to all. Uh, and we're going to see some um, even deeper connections to communion. We, we saw that in yesterday's reading as well. Uh, so yeah, I didn't want to just do all of John chapter six, because that would be 71 verses all in one day. Uh, yesterday's was a little long. This one's a little bit shorter, uh, but it just, it was easier to break them up into, into two. <laughs> and if you're reading on your own, sometimes you might want to break John six up into three, just because there's so much here. Uh, but here we go. This is a reflection now on John six, 41 to 71. And as I've been doing, we basically, I just start reading and then just stop along the way when something occurs to me or something that I want to share um, that I think might be helpful in understanding what the text is saying. And um, you might have your own things that pop into your mind as you follow along or as you read along. And and that's great. That's what this is all about. Um, not just me telling you stuff, uh, but also hopefully um, provoking in you some questions that you might have about it and a way for you to explore deeper on your own what uh, this amazing text has to say for you in your life today. So this is, yeah, John chapter 6, 41 to 71. Then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. Um, so yeah, just a reminder, um, there's big problems with the term the Jews in John's gospel. We talked about this last week, um, but I would recommend like as much as possible when you see that, just try to read that as sort of the the opponents, the religious uh, elite opponents of Jesus and um, and remind yourself over and over again that pretty much everybody in the story, almost everybody in the story is Jewish, including Jesus. Jesus is a Jew and his disciples, his closest followers are Jews. So when John is using this term, he's not meaning all Jewish people, right? Like that's not actually what's going on here, um, but it's certainly been used that way. So we just need to remind ourselves of that continually as we read John's gospel. Anyway, those opponents are then complaining about Jesus because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 42, they were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven, um, which is also code. This I've come down from heaven is kind of code for Jesus is God or Jesus is the son of God. And here they're saying, well, we know his father and mother, Mary and Joseph. And so he can't be saying this. How could this be? Um, Jesus then answered them. Verse 43, Jesus answered them. Do not complain amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the father who sent me. And I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes 
to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Whoa, so much there. But um, first, he's addressing, you know, he starts, he's addressing the complaint, you know, we know who this is. How can he say he's coming down from heaven? And Jesus just, again, doubles down on it, right? He doesn't provide, like, I don't think, a real uh, reasonable counter argument or explanation to this, but he just kind of goes further and it's almost like he's trying to uh, make them more upset even. Like, so things like where he says, um, you know, the, the only people who can come to me, you can only come to me unless you're drawn by the Father. I think we've often read that kind of passage completely out of context. It's almost like Jesus is saying, because he's talking to the people who have basically said, look, we are the ones who are the experts on God. We are the ones who actually know we, like they are, like imagine like the the church people of today who are, who are going to say, this is exactly, like we have the actual answers about God. Like this is what you have to do. This is the life you have to live. And that's the way it is. That's kind of what the religious authorities are in John's gospel, how they're portrayed. And Jesus is saying, you know, the only people who can come to me, you can only come to me unless you're drawn by the Father who sent me. So in other words, if if you're not drawn to me, opponents, well, then God didn't draw you. So if you're saying that you're the experts on God, I mean, what's going on? That doesn't, that's not right, is it? So Jesus is using this phrase, not in a context of like, the only people who can ever come to know Jesus are, are if God has done something to them. So there's nothing we can do. There's no way like, no, 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 no. This is alongside the same invitation that's throughout John's gospel of come and see, come and check out Jesus. Anyone is, anyone can come, anyone can come and check it out. But he's also saying to the religious <laughs> opponents, the religious authorities, um, yeah, if you're not with me, then something's off with your relationship with, with the God that you're claiming. Something's off there because you should be with me. Uh, that's kind of how he's using this in this context. And that's not, not, that's not going to draw them closer to him, right? Like that's going to drive a further wedge between him and his opponents um, because it's essentially an insult. Um, so that's what Jesus is doing. And he just keeps doubling down, right? So he's saying, you know, your ancestors, also Jesus' ancestors, ate manna in the wilderness. Like they got this, uh, which they had brought up in the previous section we looked at. They had brought up um, how they, uh, the story of the manna in the wilderness, the Moses story. Jesus said, you know what? People ate manna in the wilderness and they died. Like that's, you know, not not from the manna, but just like that didn't give them eternal life. That didn't give them life. Um, I just gave them, you know, physical sustenance for a while. And, um, but this is the bread that comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. And I am the living bread. So if someone uh, eats of me, uh, using the metaphor, 
um, somebody is nourished by me, Jesus says, uh, that uh, they have, they receive eternal life. They receive the spiritual and abundant life. Um, and so Jesus is, is really using this metaphor. Uh, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, this is interesting because Jesus is now um, pointing directly to his death. So he's saying, like, we can read this sort of metaphorically and spiritually in a sense. It, obviously it is. But Jesus is actually going to uh, lay down his actual body. Like his body is going to be crucified, is going to die. And this is somehow the life that Jesus is giving for the world. So the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So I'm giving up my actual body um, for the sake of the world somehow. This is some kind of some mystery and it is stays very mysterious in John's gospel. Um, Jesus doesn't try to explain this. Uh, in, in the way that we might like him to in sort of a logical sequence, right? So um, here then we get to John uh, 6, 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat, right? Because he's just said, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. How can, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, Unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Okay, so Jesus is saying the word flesh and blood a lot, right? Four times in for for both things in just a couple of verses and this would again drive an even bigger wedge be- with with the opponents a big thing is like drinking blood where is this coming from jesus like good christians listen to this and they go oh yes of course this is talking about communion um and we talk about uh, you know the body of christ given for you the blood of christ shed for you and uh, we eat the bread and we drink the wine and those are representing the body and blood of christ yeah okay we we all Christians who've grown up with that just, oh, yeah, of course. But that hasn't been, Jesus hasn't instituted that yet at this point in the story. And he's just suddenly talking about drinking blood. He's doubled down on eating my flesh. And we can maybe understand that like metaphorically, he's the bread, his his life is given, his flesh, his body is given for the world. We understand that. But blood, uh, Jews, first century Jews, like you're not supposed, they weren't supposed to eat blood of any animal. Like now, and now we're talking about like human blood. This is bizarre. Um, So this would be really quite offensive. What Jesus is saying here, it would be incredibly controversial. And it would be for those who are trying to follow him, it would provide them with like deep concerns. If not like under misunderstanding for sure, but also just like what where are you going with this jesus like we we don't understand this like if you're up to something new it's hard to get our heads around and but but it's this is this is bordering on like something really awful 
um, would be would be the I think the, the the initial response to this, and we find that 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 is kind of what happens. Um, even with some of his closest followers, they 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 walk away in just a few verses. They stop following him. Um, but for us, what is going on here? I do think this is for sure an allusion, a reference to communion, to uh, Eucharist, and it's just kind of picking up again from where we came from before, and it's it's doubling down on this. So when Jesus says, um, the conclusion of this little section is, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. And if we jump ahead to not in the narrative time frame, but if we jump ahead to the readers of John's gospel and how they are reading this is that they are the ones, the primary activity of the early Christian communities is actually gathering around the table to eat together and to remember Jesus, to celebrate Jesus in the Eucharist, in communion. And they would they would have a meal, but but the meal was like and and as part of their worship was to do as Jesus had told them, which was every time they eat bread and drink this wine to remember him. And um, so so when they would read this, this is then an encouragement because they are looking at their bread and their wine as representations of the body and blood of Jesus, as in his blood was poured out for us and his body was, was, um, given for us. It was, um, he died like that. Those are representations of his death on the cross that somehow mystically and mysteriously it brings life for the world. And so when those early followers are gathered around the table and celebrating the fact that Jesus has given his life for the sake of the world, for the sake of us, they look around at one another and they see, oh, when we are here eating and drinking and remembering this, we are abiding in Christ and Christ is abiding in us. We are nourishing ourselves on Jesus. Now, one of the things about the blood that I, I mean, it can be really troubling, but one of the things that was a central belief about the blood is that blood is actually the the life force of of beings, which is why there was a prohibition about about drinking it. Um, but here, Jesus, and later when Jesus actually institutes communion, he says, "You know, this is my blood." So he's not trying to say, like, dr- you know, drink this wine, and it actually is now my blood. Um, but he's saying, you know, take my life into you, right? Like. Um, be so connected to it as connected as you are to this bread and this wine that you're now eating and drinking. Like that's take my life within you and receive it. Uh, my body that's given and my blood that's poured out. Um, so it is about his death, but it's also actually about his life, right? Um, so it, anyway, there's there's quite a lot going on there, obviously. There's a lot of mystery to communion and also to Jesus' words here. Uh, and so that's that's where we are. So verse 57, um, Jesus says, Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. All right. So this kind of goes to that idea of communion. You're taking in Jesus. You're nourishing yourself on Jesus. 
and that brings you life. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread, talking about himself, will live forever. Uh, He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at at Capernaum. Now, we're going to continue to the next section. Verse 60 is, a, is kind of a new section, but it's still continuing on uh, from, from what we just read. Uh, when many of the disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. No kidding. It's still difficult today, and we have like the benefit of reflection for several thousand years on it, and we have the benefit of being after the resurrection and the ascension and uh, all of that, um, and it's still hard. So they say, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, I like how that's phrased as complaining, said to them, does this offend you? And and like the answer is, yes, it, it does. It probably does offend them. Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? As in... You've got to think about this post-ascension, like post-resurrection and post-ascension. So it's hard for us standing after post-resurrection and post-ascension, um, but but we can get our heads around it a little better because we can come at it through the celebration of communion and why uh, that is a celebration of abiding in Jesus. So we can start to kind of get our heads around that a little bit. And I think actually as you participate in communion, um, and you do that more frequently, uh, the participation itself actually um, provides the some of the knowledge for uh, understanding this. So it's tricky because we, as kind of Western modern-ish thinkers, we tend to uh, want, well, I tend to want like a logical sequence. Presbyterian minister, we want like tell me how this text understands, parse the, like, tell me the Greek, like, uh, give me some clues. But actually, when it comes to abiding in Jesus and this relationship with Jesus and how uh, it, the communion that Jesus gave us is actually a gift that helps us to do that and understand more fully what it means uh, to abide in Jesus. So we can't, I guess what I'm saying is we cannot think our way solely to this abiding in Jesus. Um, this belief, this receiving of his life. We actually have to do things. We have to actually enact. I say we have to, but I'm just saying like that it's not that it's a, I'm not talking about that in terms of a requirement, but I guess I'm saying like if we're waiting to understand everything before we actually participate, we'll be waiting forever Um, because we're, we're probably never going to fully understand with our heads, but as we participate, there's an experience of the spirit or the risen Christ or the risen Christ being made present by the Holy Spirit that is somehow mysterious that we don't quite understand, particularly when we celebrate communion. Um, this is this gift that's been given by Jesus where we um, receive the life that he offers and there's a mystery to it. Um, but anyway, he says, um, does this teaching offend you? Well, what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? back to heaven. And then he says, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. And he's not 
talking about his own flesh here and he's not trying to divide spirit and and flesh and bodies but he's saying like um almost think about it as uh you know uh, heaven type teaching and earth type teaching like a uh, earthly fleshly way of thinking uh he's saying is useless there's actually something else going on there's this life of the spirit and he i don't think jesus is trying to divide those i think he's actually trying to say that even our bodies are included in this thinking and this life of the spirit um that uh that but but when we're when we've confined ourselves to only this kind of human earthly way of thinking and understanding things then we are missing um that that way of doing things is is useless we're actually encompassed by this life of the spirit the spirit that gives life all right the words that i have spoken to you are spirit and life in other words they're not like the words of of only the earthly way of thinking um verse 64 but among you there are some who do not believe for jesus knew from the first who were the ones who did not believe and who was the one that would betray him this is the first time that that shows up in John's gospel, just kind of pointing to someone's going to betray him. And he said, for this reason, I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. All right, I said that that was done in a certain context, but here he's kind of shifting that context a little bit, right? So now he's saying like, yeah, to really get this, um, it's it's actually the will of the Father granting that or helping you to, to come there. Um, I would argue as well, we can take steps that actually help us. So um, uh, that we can, something like taking the step to go and and take communion, you, you might be in a position where it's like, oh, well, I, I, yeah, I believe Jesus, but I'm finding some of it really hard. Like, I'm not sure where I stand with him. Um, some might argue saying like, you should never take communion until you really know for sure. And I would argue like, actually, uh, you, you've been baptized maybe as a baby and you've got some questions. Like these are the best times to come and take communion to receive to, um, uh, it's like faith seeking understanding, right? Like that's, um, actually take steps, allow yourself to be drawn by the father, to be granted by the father, um, to come and and understand. So um, John sometimes paints this belief and unbelief as as stark opposites. But we do find there ends up being a few gray areas in John's gospel. We'll, we'll find those a bit later. Um, and that's true of life as well, that it's not always like, I believe, oh, no, I don't believe, and those two never meet. There's actually a lot of people kind of in the middle going, well, yeah, I kind of believe. I'm not sure about this and this. And I think the overarching invitation again is come and see. Um, and and then sort of that permission is given um, by God to, con- to, to start to have this unfold for you. So it, there's, again, there's so much going on in this, in this gospel. Like we just like go forever on it, uh, which we're not going to do. Um, okay, so he says this, and then verse 66, because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. A bunch of disciples just stop 
following him because of what he just said. This is particularly about this eating of flesh and blood that would be really offensive, where Jesus says, does this offend you? And it's like, yeah. Um, So then Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is quite remarkable um, because Jesus asks, do you also wish to go away? And Simon Peter doesn't say, uh, no, we totally get what you're saying, Jesus. Like, we're with you. This makes perfect sense. I think we could probably explain it to people. He doesn't do any of that. Like, he doesn't say, he doesn't make it reasonable or rational, right? Instead, he says, like, where else could we go? Like, if we don't, if you have the words of eternal life. Like, so we might not get this. We might be kind of offended by what you're saying. We might be provoked by you. But you have the words of eternal life. And, and we've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. We, we now know who you are. And so that is now informing how we respond to what you're teaching us. Um, so if we find something hard, we, we're gonna, we've got to grapple with it. We can't just walk away. And wow, is that something that a bunch of us need to hear, right? Like, um, and don't get me wrong, this is not about the church because there's actually a whole bunch of people that have that are walking away from churches or have walked away from church and some have actually done that for really legitimate reasons um through because of uh terrible circumstances or um abuse in 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 extreme cases um toxic atmospheres things like that for sure but here I'm talking about Jesus and walking away from Jesus. And Jesus asks, do you also wish to walk away from me? And Simon Peter says, well, no. Like you're, we've come to believe that you're the Holy One of God. So when we come across something that you say that is hard, we struggle with it. Now that might not mean that we stay in the in the church that we're in or the congregation we're in all the time for all eternity. I mean, that would be great if we could work out how we do that in community with one another. Um, let's have those communities. Those are like, let's totally do that. But, but we also need to have the permission in those communities to explore and be in different places and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I, I don't want to get into a ton of thing about the church, but, but here, if we just think about Jesus and about, walking away from Jesus or sticking with Jesus. It's like, we're going to run into things. If you, if you're following Jesus, you're going to find things in the gospels where you go, Oh, I don't, Oh, I can't believe Jesus just said that. I'm having real trouble with that. And you could just walk away or you could try to wrestle with it because you have come to know that he is the Holy one of God. So, and he's got the words of eternal life. So where else can we go? Where else can we go? Um, 
So that's sort of where mostly the reading ends, other than the last little bit. Um, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, for he, though one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And that's where uh, chapter six ends, and that's where we are going to end today. (laughs) I said this was going to be shorter. It's actually longer today. At least my talk about it is longer today. Maybe it's just because it was a more complicated one. But there we go. I will be back tomorrow, uh, 9 a.m. on Instagram, on Prairie's Instagram page, and then reposted on Facebook, and then the audio on The Bible Tells Me What. Uh, I prefer the audio if you're watching this on Facebook or on Instagram and you think, uh, and you listen to podcasts, um, the audio might be a better way for you to do that because you can do that on a walk or while you're working out or whatever. um, And uh, feel free to go and search for The Bible Tells Me What in your podcast app it should come up and you can just subscribe to it and you'll get the episodes each day all right thanks for joining today take care